Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary, another Wednesday episode for you. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, remember to subscribe to the channel, like the video. If you're listening in podcast form, thank you for downloading. Uh, thank you for listening. And as always, leave a rating and a review wherever you can and subscribe wherever you can. That kind of stuff really does help. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email this show, Diary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the program today, uh, we are going to be looking at the top players in the history of the National Hockey League as our NHL previews continue. Going to get into some CFL power rankings. We are going to look at the, the things that I was waiting to see after week one. Does the opinion change at all after week two? Um, we'll get into what Justin Fields said just a few minutes before I hit record on this today, and the Toronto Blue Jays with a big win over the New York Yankees last night. So we will get into all of that. As always, thank you all so much for tuning in today. All right, let's continue our NHL preview. Uh, we d- previously did the top players in the hi- in uh, the NHL today, so let's just do our top ten players in the history of the National Hockey League as it sits right now. Um, always some controversy uh, around these sorts uh, of discussions. I can't wait for the basketball one uh, coming up in in a little bit. But going to start this one off with a personal favorite of uh, two personal favorites, actually my two favorite players growing up. So. Remarkable amounts of bias on this. Absolutely, 100%. Without question, remarkable amounts of bias on here. But I'm putting Pavel Burry at 10 and Eric Lindros at 9. Um, I think both of them really did, though, change how this game was looked at and played. Um, Eric Lindros, the quintessential power forward. Every team wanted to have one. You had to change how you defended a little bit. And there was a stretch there where this... Um, this guy was one of the most dominant players in the, the National Hockey League. And that line, one of the most dominant. Never really got over the hump. They do get to the cup final that one time against the Detroit Red Wings and then got the fuck kicked out of them. But uh, either way, he was great. And Pavel Bure, so dynamic with what he was able to, to do as a, a hockey player. The speed that he was able to play with, the hands that he had, all of it, all, all the way around. One of the, the great hockey players that we have ever seen and really did introduce uh, another level of skill to this sport. At eight, I am going to put Sidney Crosby. Um, just a, a remarkable career that he has had to this point. I would suggest the winning is kind of done now with him, unless the Penguins really do turn some things around. But you, you look at iconic moments with the uh, the gold medal goal, um, the multiple-time Stanley Cup champions, and just the face of this league for a v- extremely long period of time. Um, in terms of, like, especially what it looked like it was going to be when, when he had the, those concussion issues at that time. But um, I, I just think the the high level that he has been able to keep for so long definitely earns him a spot on this list. Our first goalie pops up at number seven, and it is Dominic Hasek. Um, the, the top goalie debate of all time is certainly one that will rage on. Um, and you, you certainly could make the debate that if you put Hasek on any of the other teams, um, or on any on several other teams at that time, then he has like three or four Stanley Cup finals. But what he was able to do, and, and I think like I don't even want to say a coming out party because you knew in '98 when um, when when the Czech Republic beat Canada, so that uh, Canada went down into the the bronze medal game. Um, like everyone knew going into that just how good that guy was. But that was like the superstar all time worthy moment for for Dominic Hasek. Um, the, those Buffalo Sabres teams that he played on 
relied heavily on on Hasek, and then as his career winds down, he goes to a Detroit team and ends up getting his Stanley Cup. But um, yeah, just one of the true all-time greats, and absolutely one that you had to... I don't even want to say alter your game plan for, because there was no... Something just fell here. Um, there was no game plan that was going to work against him. It, it, he was one of those guys where if Buffalo scored one, you would just kind of get this... We have to get two? We have to get two tonight on this guy? How are we going to do that? Um, so he comes in at number seven. At six, it is the person who I do have as the best goalie of all time, Patrick Waugh. Th these two guys are side-by-side -side for a reason. Not a whole lot separates them. I do think if you flip-flopped them... Um, that you would still have, like, relatively similar careers um, in terms of if Hasek was on the Colorado Avalanche and if Wall was on the, the, the Buffalo Sabres and, and some of those other teams. Wall was just, he was so steady and he was so solid. Um, doesn't quite have the international success that a, a Dominic Hasek has, but um, th there was just a presence to him in goal. And there was obviously a fire to him as well, but... It's just that the solid play and the consistency, again, for an extremely long period of time, gets him that mark for me um, as the, the top goalie of all time. Into our top five, and we have a trio of defensemen. First up, it is... Or, sorry, we have a couple of defensemen, sorry. Um, first up, it is Nicholas Lidstrom. Um, you can, I think, pretty clearly see from this uh, list what era, what era of hockey I grew up in. But Nick Lidstrom just... There, there was nothing he couldn't do out on that ice. His defensive, it just, he was in the right spot always. Um, there was never a time where he was caught out of position. He could skate well enough to keep up with everyone um, as the eras changed on him. He had a phenomenal shot that would uh, allow him to be a weapon offensively. And on a team filled with leaders in Detroit, he was one who stood out. That, like I said, that there's just nothing that you would want a defenseman to do that he couldn't do. At four, it's Mr. Hockey. It's Gordie Howe. Um, admittedly, didn't see a whole lot of how he played, um, as, you know, he's quite a bit older than I am. But... Just the quintessential hockey player for, for so long. And the we talk about longevity with some of these other dudes. Come on. The longevity of, of Gordie Howe certainly earns him this spot on on Mount Rushmore. But he wouldn't get this only for playing a long time. Um, Yarmir Yager's not on this list. Uh, that's not even a shot at Yager. He probably would have made it on if I wasn't so biased toward the bottom two guys. But for, for Gordie Howe... Um, Again, kind of just did everything you would want a player to do um, on the ice. And he was just so revered. And so he has to get the spot on the Mount Rushmore. At three, it's Bobby Orr. Um, longevity, not a strength of his. But what he was able to do while he was out there um, is second to none in terms of defensemen, in terms of speed and skill for that era and, and that time to, to really leave your mark on the Boston Bruins franchise in the way he did. He certainly earns the number three spot. At two, it is Mario Lemieux, uh, which means that number one is pretty obvious. There, there are a lot of people who will contend that Lemieux, because he could play a bit more of a power forward style while still elevating his teammates in the way number one did, certainly earned um, earns consideration for being number one. And while I, I certainly don't disagree with that, um, look, I'm, I'm not going to spend this one degrading him so that we can talk about the other guy. Mario Lemieux was phenomenal. Uh, again, what he could do, it, it just, it looked like he could see the game in slow motion the whole time. And again, the hands exquisite. Um, bigger body dude for that time. So he could get to some some tougher areas. Uh, clear 
offensive gifts that, that you wouldn't believe. And um, can't really quantify these as well, but a real leader out there as well for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then number one is Wayne Gretzky. Um, when you have more assists than anyone has points in the history of the National Hockey League, like, come on. Um, I don't even know what there is to say. Like, there isn't a whole lot that hasn't been said about him. Um, for his time, he could play that game at a speed that very few else could. He saw the game in ways that no one else, maybe even in the history of the sport, has ever been able to see it. He had a creativity for the time that was second to none. He elevated everyone around him, and not just on his line. Like, the entire team gets elevated when Wayne Gretzky is out on the ice. Again, nothing from an offensive standpoint that he couldn't do. Um, so he comes in as the number one player on this list. So that is uh, it for the rankings portion for our NHL previews this year. Now, let's get into some football talk. Some of the music on Coach Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. All right, let's uh, first get into the Canadian Football League. Um, I had CFL uh, power ranking graphic here, but we're not going to do that this time because I forgot. Um, let's get into CFL power rankings here. Uh, coming in at number nine, it is the Ottawa Red Blacks. Again, there are pieces I like on Ottawa. This just isn't their year. At eight, I have Calgary. Uh, they have the bye this week coming off of a loss against Edmonton. It, it just, it feels, A, it feels like they could have lost back-to-back -back games against Edmonton. Um, they're so inconsistent. And, like, again pieces that I like, but they have not been able to put it together. There, there is a stretch run here that they have a real opportunity to try to make some ground on, but it feels like it's fading fast in Calgary. The team they are chasing comes in at number seven. I have Saskatchewan. Um, it's seeming more and more like the win against Winnipeg was certainly the outlier. A really bad loss against the Bombers last or a couple of weeks ago in the Banjo Bowl, and now uh, this week against Edmonton. It, it starts to feel like the, the, the shine is wearing off on Dolagala, and I, I I think now that the only hope this team has of making any kind of run is if Trevor Harris is able to come back for this football team this season. So that means at number six, it's Edmonton, and I never thought they would be here, but we talked about it before, that the Edmonton Elks are officially mid, and that is not a spot that I think anyone would have thought that they would have been in um, after the first nine weeks of this season, but it has been quite the turnaround, almost entirely because of the play of their quarterback, Trey Ford. Uh, he has elevated players around him, and given this team, I don't want to say swagger, because that's a bit much, but he has certainly given this team a belief that they are capable of, of bigger things now as they make a push just four points out of a playoff spot in the CFL's West Division. At five, it's Montreal. Um, it's just because at four, we have Hamilton, who's picked up a couple of big wins along the way. Um, I, I still think Montreal is a better football team than the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are, but the Tiger Cats have come up with a couple of key victories in the last few weeks to get them um, really back into the discussion in the East and uh, away from some of the discussion about uh, the potential 
for uh, any kind of crossover or anything like that. And then you have the big three. At three, it is uh, Winnipeg. At two, it is BC, which they would have dropped for sure if they were able to hold on. Uh, weren't able to, to, to come back, sorry, against the, the Ottawa Red Blacks. And at number one, the East Division regular season champions, the Toronto Argonauts. Those are your power rankings for this week in the CFL. Moving into the NFL, and after week one, I had kind of divided every team, um, or notes from every team, I guess, into three categories. It was confirmation bias, it was my mind has changed, and there was some wait and see. And so now after week two, we have another data point. Let's see if my wait and see has officially changed. We will start with Damian Pierce. Um, my opinion now has changed. I was high on this player coming into the year, and I still think it is he, he is a talented player, but from a fantasy football standpoint, I don't believe he's a viable option anymore. That This offense is just too bad in Houston, and the, the passing attack is not going to help him out. Um, the, the, the defense Defenses are he, like he is so clearly the best option they have on offense. Defenses are going to clue in on that. I, I just feel like this team is too bad to support uh, Damian Pierce. Cleveland and Cincinnati. I put both of them on there as wait and see candidates. I am worried about what's happening in Cincinnati right now. Um, a big way that the Bengals have been able to to stay relevant, uh, even more than stay relevant. Stay relevant is actually. Um, underselling it quite a bit. But the, the way that the Bengals have been able to stay at the top or near the top of the AFC is because of Joe Burrow's escapability. Having a banged up calf kind of hurts that. So I, I think there are real reasons for concern in Cincinnati this year. And in Cleveland, um, I'm back into the confirmation bias. D Deshaun Watson just doesn't have it. He, he is not that guy. He was clearly frustrated on Monday night when he shoved an official. Um, how he's not suspended is beyond me. But... Um, they now don't have Nick Chubb for the season, but I, no, Deshaun Watson ain't it. He doesn't have it, um, which is fine because, again, he's a noted piece of shit. And I I shed no tears for what's happening with the Cleveland Browns this year. Alexander Madison, th they just can't get going um, with him at the, the running back spot. And the, the rest of the offense is moving fine. Like, it's not gangbusters or anything like that but it's fine and so I think that there's reason for concern and I think if you picked up Chandler as the backup I think you could end up getting rewarded for that because I think Madison's time is the bell cow back in Minnesota is coming to an end. Um, I was waiting and seeing on the Tennessee Titans after a tough loss in week one against New Orleans. They bounced back with a big time win against the LA Chargers. This team isn't going to blow out many teams this year, but this is, I, I think that they are transitioning in a couple of young players on the fly, and I think it's kind of working. Um, the defense needs to be a little bit better, but I, I am back into feeling comfortable about where Tennessee is is at. Uh, New Orleans, I I thought that uh, Derek Carr was kind of washed, and so I was a little surprised they come away with a win in, in week one, and that they were a team I was down on. So, going into week two, let's see, what, what, what can this team actually do? And the defense is for real, I think. Now, that's not a great Carolina offense to test that against, but the defense really is for real. I have major concerns about this offense. Um, Michael Thomas and Chris Olave are good. They're going to get Alvin Kamara back, and that's fine, but Derek Carr... He doesn't handle pressure pressure well. Teams know this, um, and I, I think are going to continue to take advantage of this. So I, I think Derek Carr um, kind of holds this team back this season. Uh, the Raiders, they came away with a week one win. Uh, there, there isn't a whole lot to add here. They're bad. Um, that, that's been confirmed. I feel fine about that. Um, DeAndre Swift, usage after game one was really concerning. Usage after game two has you feeling a little bit better. I don't think it's going to be consistent all year, and I thought he was going to be a running back out of Philadelphia that you can trust. That's 
clearly not going to be the case now, unless we see it a little bit more consistently. So unfortunately, I am going to have to change the opinion on DeAndre Swift. Uh, the Pats offense, I was down on them coming into this season. I get you had an actual offensive coordinator now, so... But... I, I didn't think that they had the, the weapons to, to really do a whole lot. and But then in week one, they hang with the Philadelphia Eagles. And look, the defense is legit in, in New England. Um, to to kind of limit the two high-powered offenses that they have faced so far this season, that defense is really good. The offense, I think, is kind of okay, but I'm I'm not worrying about my position on New England now. They, they just they do not have the skill players to help out a quarterback who is average at best, and that's... That's the reality of what's going on in New England right now. Chicago. Um, I thought this offense was going to take a step forward, and we'll talk reasons why it's not in a minute. Um, but I I thought that this was going to be an offense that could have a number of viable fantasy options, and that's just not the case. That This offense looks very robotic, and, and th that's their words now. Uh, looks very robotic and very predictable and just very plain, and that should not be the case when you have a quarterback as dynamic as Justin Fields, but they have completely lost it there. So my opinion has shifted now on the Chicago Bears. Um, Seattle, I was worried after one week. Uh, my question was, does Seattle suck? Um, I don't think they suck. That defense is concerning to me, though. That, that defense has moved them into the change category. I don't know if this is a, a playoff-level defense, but I think the offense is going to be fine. On the Rams' side, they're better than I expected. That That is a full-on change of opinion for me, that the Rams are going to be better than I expected. This is not going to be a team that's just going to be cannon fodder all year long. I think this is going to be a team that's going to step up um, in a few situations. I don't think this is a playoff team, although it's the NFC, so who knows? But the, the the young players have certainly stepped up. They're one and one without Cooper Cup, which is one win more than a lot of people thought they were going to have. I, I think you can feel comfortable with what's going on with the um well, with the LA Rams right now. I was worried about Brian Dayball after one week. The the offense looked predictable and bad against the, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, in week two, it did not get off to a good start, but the second half of that game against Arizona saves their season. Um, so I, I still think Brian Dayball is a, a good coach. Um, it's a one half, I guess, changes the mind on that. But um, th this certainly isn't the, the offensive genius that you saw a couple of years ago. Uh, Travis Etienne, I didn't think he was very good coming into this year. And now, granted, I still don't think he is very good, but he is getting significantly more work in the, the running back room in Jacksonville than I was anticipating. And this is maybe the, the biggest... Um, opinion shift here is that, and this is something to remember for next year, aside from Bijan Robinson, it is so clear that these teams are easing their young running backs into these situations now. It, it's not just, oh yeah, this guy's going to take over and everything's going to be fine. Um, this is absolutely a, a time where we're going to see some young running backs eased into these roles. And so the veterans who have those roles are going to be comfortable in them, at least in the first part of the season on ETN falls into that. So those are some of the things I was waiting and seeing on after week one in the NFL, and a few opinions have changed after week two. The Justin Fields situation is interesting. He came out today um, and agreed with reporters that, yeah, the, the offense seems a little stale and robotic right now. Um, and they asked him why was that, and he said coaching, which a few things to, to go into there. The first, even if that's true, don't say that. Like, I get you're frustrated. I get you're upset. Um, I, I've worked at a place where they, they gave me a live microphone and I wasn't totally thrilled with, with how things were going. And so I was able to make a couple of subtle things. But I like to think that I had the, the art of subtlety down maybe a little bit better than Justin Fields did. That was 
holy shit, what, what he did was um, just wild, wild, wild. Um, so we'll see now what, what comes of that. But holy crap, dude, it is so clearly just it, borderline toxic there through two weeks of the season. If he feels pissed off enough to do that in a press conference, but I, I do think that he has reason to be pissed off. And I do think the bears have reason to be pissed off with him. The, the Bears coming into the season so clearly wanted to elevate their passing game. And when you're the quarterback, that feels like you're kind of at the center of that. And for the Chicago Bears, they have put a lot of trust into Justin Fields. And they made some big moves so that they could bring in a DJ Moore and try to, to elevate this passing game. It hasn't worked through two weeks. It's looked really, really bad. And Justin Fields clearly doesn't look comfortable in that. And so there, there's kind of two ways to, to look at this. One, on the, the, the coaching side of things, because they're, they're the ones who uh, just absolutely caught one in that discussion today. It is one thing to say, yeah, we're just going to turn this into a, a bit more of a passing offense. You still, you, you can't just be, oh, well, this guy's Tom Brady now and have him throw the ball around. You do have to tailor things a little bit more to your quarterback to, to be able to do that. And it is very clear through two weeks they haven't done that. And that's why Fields doesn't look comfortable in this at all. Um, it, it does not feel like they played to his strengths even a little bit. It was just, well, we want to be a more traditional passing offense. This is a more traditional passing offense. Be a traditional passer now, young man. Go for it. Um, and that, that just doesn't work. That has never worked. On the other hand, for Fields, he hasn't played that well either. The technique has maybe improved a little bit, but it's still not great. His decision-making has been atrocious. Um, and so I think there is, I think there's quite a bit of blame on the coaching. For sure there is. And look, we're, we're, I'm looking at this from a country away. Um, I am, I'm not in it in the slightest. So whatever. But just looking at it from the outside, having watched this sport a while, um, I, I, it's so clear to me that this coaching staff was just like, well, this is what a passing offense looks like, so fucking go. And they have completely stripped away any anything that makes Justin Fields dynamic and just turned him into generic passer X. That is not, A, what you drafted the kid for, B, what you want from your offense. Even if you have just a pocket passer, you don't want that. Um, it has been abysmal in Chicago, and it it really is. Um, problems on both sides. But the, the coaching... I, I don't think has done the quarterback any favors, but the quarterback is not helping him out, himself out with how he has played so far this year. So a lot to talk to on the NFL this week. More football coverage coming tomorrow when we do our power rankings and we're going to do a Thursday night football preview. Uh, but now let's get into some baseball. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. A podcast about world events that you know about. But might have fallen asleep for during history class or social studies, however you learn history in high school. Each week, we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! Some crazy how the Toronto Blue Jays are the second wildcard team in the American League as uh, they pick up another win over the New York Yankees last night. Um, got a bit more comfortable with a home run late. And... Um... There's a few things to, to talk to from this game. One, I guess mentioned the home run late. Let, let's get into it. Um, Alejandro Kirk, um, what was the one who ends up going deep in that ball game, helping the Blue Jays pick up the 7-1 victory uh, in that one. Obviously, like George Springer starts the game off with a, a home run, but by the end, um, it ends up being Alejandro Kirk with his seventh home run of the year in the ninth inning. 
if this Blue Jays offense is going to take a step into being a playoff caliber offense, he has to be better. Um, and he gets the home run, so it, it feels kind of shitty to just shit on him. But um, he has been so inconsistent this year. And th- this is a guy who, like, it. We, we were all told he'd just roll out of bed and hit 300. Um, but he has taken a very clear step back this season as a hitter. It's a lot of soft contact um, this season, a lot of ground balls, uh, which is problematic for a guy who, with all due respect, isn't beating a whole lot of them out. Um, that There's very little drive in what he's doing as an offensive player right now. But if he can get even a little bit of that back here with regular playing time, because um, Danny Jensen's not coming back at least until the postseason. And the way they made it sound on the broadcast was... He's probably done for the year unless this team wins a series or two. Um, And even then it's a little bit dicey. So this Kirk is going to have to be the guy and he is going to have to step up offensively, especially given some of the other injuries that this team is dealing with right now. Boy, the offense looks a little bit better when Boba is in the lineup and the defense looks a little bit better when Boba in the lineup. I get he turned that double play. I would still like for him to take the, the, the easy play every once in a while. That double play... Um, where he is ranging deep into the hole at short, turns and throws it to second, and then a great turn from David Schneider gets it to, to first base to end the inning. Um, that Phenomenal play, absolutely. But those are the types of plays that lead to you going out and crashing into your center fielder with the season on the line in the wildcard round against Seattle. That was... Oh, my dog just shifted. Um, that was, like... All on Bo Bichette. 100% of, of that mix-up was on, on Bo Bichette costing the Blue Jays that game. Now, it shouldn't have got to that point, but whatever. Um, I understand like that there you are walking a fine line with trying to keep this guy having the aggression that keeps him him, while also... Um, you know, having him be a, a smart professional baseball player. Um, and it ended up working in this one, but... With the lights bright in October, maybe it won't. So I would just like him to cool it a little bit. But boy, does he make the offense look so much better with what he is able to do. Hitting to, to all fields, the power that he is able to provide. It just it lengthens the lineup and it just... It was a real hole that was missing, especially at the top of the, the Blue Jays order. Um, hopefully you say Kikuchi is alright. He comes out of this game blaming uh, only getting 11 hours of sleep instead of 13 or 14. I'm not making that up. That is legitimately the reason that he gave for that, which is... Quite something. Um, but he has been so consistent for this team out of the bullpen, or out of the bullpen, um, as a, a starter this year. I was thinking the reason I stumble on that is if they want to use him as a third starter, um, you are comfortable with that. If he is just a playoff bullpen guy, you are comfortable with that as well. But he, the, his turnaround, him and Barrios, it, it is once again something that if I'm the Blue Jays, every year in free agency, I am going to high-level pitchers and be like, hey, Look what we've done with these guys. We can do that with you too. Um, it's it's what we talked about with the bats uh, a little bit ago with uh, with Merrifield Belt and and some of those guys turning things around. But Kikuchi's turnaround has been really really fun to watch and has helped the Blue Jays get into a good spot as they continue their series with the ace on the mound, Kevin Gosman tonight. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, as always, if you're watching, thank you so much. Um, subscribe to the channel, hit like, that kind of stuff helps. Share the videos as well. I would appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening in podcast form, thank you for the download. Thank you for listening to this point. Leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe wherever you are listening and wherever you can. As always, you can get in touch with me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email this show, Couch Potato Diary, 
at yahoo.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, um, if anything wild and adventurous happens in the Blue Jays game, we'll get to that. Uh, plus, it is your Thursday night preview and our first edition of NFL Power Rankings for the 2023 season. Thank you all so much, and I will talk to you all later.